Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Dr. Cohen. How are you? Good. Are we live? We are live with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I'm joined with the host, Dr. Jason Cohen. Dr. Jason Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) And you are? I'm Lauren Taylor. And today, I'm super excited. I have this, I don't know, I've been meaning to talk to you for a long time. We have... uh, the Cedar Sinai rabbi, head rabbi, is that your, uh, Rabbi Jason Weiner? Yes. And I, I've been meaning to, I mean, there's so many reasons I want to talk to you, but I've been meaning to have you on our podcast for so many reasons. Actually, it's funny. One time at the, like one of the volunteer events, do you remember Barbara Leanne's was like, introdu- she was introducing one of us and called us the other one's name. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Actually, I do was she introducing that. you and she called me or she was introducing me and she called you? She called me up as Rabbi Jason Cohen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and she did deliberately mean me because I, because I work, you know, I help run the pre-med program yeah. for the volunteer office. You, you got to Cedars. It's been like almost at least 15 years. Yeah, 15 right? years. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, I, I, I still remember meeting you way early on. You were, you were like an assistant rabbi at a synagogue. Yes. And then you came on as the senior rabbi here. Right. And I remember, no, you're, now, you're the, now you're the senior rabbi. Now you have some gray in your beard. Okay, you I'm were, trying to get more senior. Yeah, exactly. Now we're both very <laughs> senior. But I remember the guy that you replaced had been at Cedars for a long time and he was clearly, he had died, but he was clearly a senior rabbi kind of guy. Yeah. Rabbi Levy-Mir, he'd been here for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, I mean, always had a warm place in my heart because unfortunately, I don't know if you knew when I moved to LA 21 years ago, my mother had just died. So I was saying Kaddish and I was trying to do it religiously, you know, three times a day. Um, which Kaddish is the, uh, it's like a prayer, a memorial prayer for the dead. And theoretically, you're supposed to, after an immediate family member dies, you could tell, you're supposed to do it for the first 11 months after an immediate family member dies. And theoretically, you're supposed to do it at every prayer service of the day. And there are three of them. So um, I wanted to be able to do it in the afternoons. And I went to Rabbi Mayer. And I told them, hey, could you, because they don't have a, they don't have a prayer service at Cedar sinai regularly. Right. And he, he actually started for me a mincha service. Nice. Um, so he really had a, a, there was a strong place in my heart for the guy. Um, and it was, a, it was an interesting group of people who showed up to that, that you know, some big shots at Cedars uh-huh. from Shlomo Melmed to, to me, the little pisher who had just gotten there. It was really an amazing thing that this guy did. And, and I remember thinking when you arrived, no disrespect, Rabbi, but here's this Pisher who's who's now the senior rabbi. Right. And it was just kind of an interesting, it was, it was very interesting. It must have been very hard for you as a new person filling, stepping into the shoes. Yeah, it was intimidating. It was uh, big shoes to fill. Yeah. And I realized, you know, I can't just try to imitate him and try to be him because I could never be him and just... I had to try to find my own voice in my own way. Yeah, especially at a Cedar Sinai, right? Yeah, but 
Cedar Sunday was very welcoming. People were very embracing and gracious. You know, I found it a wonderful experience to join the family. Yeah. But it's like, it's this like, you know, from, I'm from New York. So my image, my whole, I came out here to do fellowship in cancer surgery. To me, Cedar Sinai, other than a Jewish star, you know, on the building was the TV show. Beverly. So everything goes back to pop culture, movies, TV. That's the whole podcast. Uh That's the whole premise for the podcast. Uh So to me, Cedar Sinai was the television show. Do you want to guess? What, 90210? Exactly. (laughs) It was Beverly Hills 90210, right? Do you remember that too, Lauren? I don't remember that part of it. So anytime any of the, from the original Beverly Hills 90210, if anyone ever got sick, they were at Cedar Sinai. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's what Cedar Sinai was for me, was this, you know, the hospital to Beverly Hills 90210. So it must have been really interesting where are you from LA? Yeah, I'm from the South Bay. Oh area. wow. And you then you we'll, see it from your office here. Really? Yeah. Nice. So and where did you do your rabbinical school? I went to rabbinical school in New York City, right by Columbia University there on the Shiva University? Yeah, Chove Torah is called. Okay. And I uh, spent six years in New York City. And then my wife and I are both from LA. So we wanted to make our way back. And that's when I was assistant rabbi at a synagogue here on, on Pico Boulevard. What Beth Jacob. Young Israel Century City. Oh, Young Israel Century City. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah, nearby. And then very quickly, you you did you come on as an assistant here first? Well, I was there for a year. Yeah. And Rabbi Mayer of Blessed Memory was a member of our synagogue and Beth Jacob. Right. And when he got sick, we found out right away. And um, my boss, then Rabbi Muskin, kind of volunteered me, or sometimes we say he volunteered me, you know, that, you know, he, Rabbi Mayer needs help. Like he's sick. We should go help him. So why don't you fill in for him? So um, next thing I knew, I was here. I had just been here for a year in L.A. Yeah. And next thing I knew, I was trying to fill in and help out Rabbi Mayer and, you know, wherever I could. And sometimes he was out for very long periods, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I just sort of fell into it. Yeah. And then how, how long were you here before you became the senior rabbi? So it was two years that I was filling in for him, all the while hoping that he would get better and that I would go right. back full time to my synagogue. And unfortunately, he got worse and died, unfortunately. Um, and then it was another few months before that I was hired. Um, and became the senior rabbi. So, and you still stayed on at the synagogue, or once no, you became, they the wanted senior? me to be full time. Yeah. I bet in a million years you would never have thought that that's that was your path. Definitely right? not. Definitely not. Like the rabbi, sort of the, like the senior it. rabbi of of nine, Beverly Hills nine hundred two. Yeah, and I wouldn't even think that I would have loved it, but I just fell in love with it. It's just right. amazing. The other thing was, so they have high holiday services, right? Most people know. Uh, what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are, you know, the, the two high holidays um, for Jews. And every year, the Cedar Sinai does a, a, a service. Yeah. And one of the cardiologists, Ivor Geft, uh-huh. um, who was actually a witness at our wedding, because uh-huh. um, I met him strangely enough. So I was saying Kaddish at Beth Jacob, where he was also saying Kaddish. Uh-huh. Um, and we got to know each other pretty closely. He's he's a saint. He's a car, he's a heart doctor here at Cedars. He's a saint. Yeah. He's he's so learned. Very. He's such an amazing. He his whole family. I, I don't want to give him. His family is amazing, and and he was an amazing guy. I moved to LA not knowing anybody, and and he opened his house and and his family up to me, and was this amazing guy. And he's a he's been a doctor at Cedar Sinai for a while. Amazingly, his son is a doctor here now, yeah. followed in his footsteps. But he would run, he would, he would help lead 
the high holiday yeah. service, right? He would yeah. like be the cantor for right. the service. And I remember saying to him, because um, I grew up modern Orthodox, um, but I kind of lost the way a little bit, for lack of a better. But I remember saying to him when I got here, you know, maybe I'm going to try and come to the to your service, you know, on the high holidays. And he turns to me and he goes, oh, no, Jason, that's not for you. Like, because he he knew my up, upbringing and he was like, he, he kind of didn't allow me to go to that, which I thought was really interesting. And so I never I never wound up going to, to one of the high holiday services because he said no. And then I kind of found, you know, what service to do. But I just thought that was funny. Yeah. But obviously, you guys still do uh, annual. We still service. do it. It's a big, you know, gathering about six hundred people. Yeah. But since the pandemic, we have not had in-person services. Hopefully, we'll start it again soon. It's the plan to do it. Not this year either. Really? Yeah. They don't want you know large gatherings still. Is there a way to do it outside, like on the? We thought about that, but it's still there. You know, because of the visitor restrictions, it's just too complicated. So. Right. Part of why I wanted to go is the honest truth is because supposedly, you know a lot of celebrities, you know, would show up to that service um, because they're affiliated with Cedar sinai for for different reasons. Uh, So I wanted to go and, you know, see the celebrities. Is it still, I'm not going to ask specifically, but is it still that kind of service? Yeah. I mean, it's not the focus, obviously. We're there for the patients, for the staff. You're not just here for the celebrities? (laughs) Right. You know, it's in a hospital. It's very meaningful. People yeah. really pray from the depths of their heart. Yeah. Especially the family members and the patients we put in the front row. We have nurses there. Wow. Um, and then the people come to a hospital because they find the prayers to be really meaningful. So yeah. there are celebrities kind of mixed throughout, but we don't kind of treat them differently or try to make it a show. It's really right. trying to be very sincerely dedicated to the patients. Is is Dr. Geff still involved? No. Not as much. He's gone back to his synagogue. He still helps out a little bit. But, he does? But we got, um, with his encouragement, kind of a... Uh, a song leader to kind of help lift up the, the spirits a little bit and kind of bring a new generation in. Hmm. So I told uh, my partner, who's a colorectal surgeon, Yosef Nasiri, sure. I told him I was going to have you as a guest. And he told me that you have a whole Facebook uh, page that I wasn't aware of. Uh-huh. And, and he said, and he recently quoted some story that he loved of yours on Facebook. Oh yeah. Just the other day I posted. Yeah, what is it? Story that he what liked. was it? So the story was that um, there was a patient who had been here. I, and I got permission to share the story, even though I won't share details, obviously. Yeah. But there was a patient who had been here in one of our clinics and was very sick. And, and thankfully, was doing better, but then unfortunately um, had to come back to the hospital. And certain rooms in that clinic were more comfortable for her when she was getting treatment. So she called me to see if we could try to arrange for one of the more comfortable rooms for her um, and her husband to be in when she got treatment. Was it comfortable for was it a, was there some was level of superstition to the room? No, it was just that it was a private room. Oh, just, and a she just needed, room. you know, it's helpful for a private room. Okay. So um, I called the charge nurse there and asked if we could get her into that room. And she said there was an open room and so we could, it would work out. So um, she says, you know, I'll text you when she gets there. So she texts me later in the day. Okay. Your patient's here now. We got her into room 18. So already I thought that's a nice omen. 18 right. is the word for life. Hebrew chai. Right. So I thought, okay, that's good. So I'll go up and visit her, make sure she's comfortable and that she got what she needs. So I walk up through room 18 and I kind of peek my head in and I was like, I haven't seen her for a while, but I don't think that's her. She looks different. So then I got kind of peeked out again. Is this 18? Yeah, it's 18. And it's, this is the time. So I kind of peeked in again. I was like, no, it's not her. But now I'm like, okay, they see that I'm looking in and into their room. It looks awkward. So I don't want to be a weirdo. So I was like, okay, I'll just say hello. 
So I kind of peeked in more. I was like, hi, um, I'm just the rabbi here. I wanted them to know because in case you that said was just the rabbi here. Well, yeah, because I want to make sure I'm just, you know, just oh, yeah. some guy and in mm-hmm. case they knew that that's what they were looking for was the rabbi. So mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to say I'm the rabbi here and I'm just making my rounds, you know, wanted to wish you well. And at first I see like they're, they're looking at me like what? And then the mom kind of looks like shocked at me. She said, you're who? You're the rabbi? And I was like, oh, no, I hope I didn't offend her. Like she seems to be like maybe upset. So then the daughter, the patient says to me, wait, you're the rabbi and you came to see me. And I was just like, yeah, you know, it's just, I'm just coming in. I just wanted to wish you well, you know, I'll be on my way. Just, just wishing you the best, just making the rounds and try, try not to offend them, upset right, right. them. And the mother says, no, 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 come in further. And I see now they're crying. Mm. Um, and so I was just quiet, kind of like waiting to hear like what's going on. And um, the, the mom says to me, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but um, I had a dream two nights ago that we need, before my daughter begins her, um, you know, begins her treatment, she should get a blessing from a rabbi, but we don't know any rabbis. We actually have never met a rabbi. People no. mm-hmm. So we've never met a rabbi and we don't know how to do that. So I started Googling synagogues and we started going, driving around, knocking on doors. Everyone was locked and we couldn't find a rabbi. So then today came, we had a lot to do. We showed up at the hospital. I even said to my daughter, you know, we did our whole checklist other than getting a blessing from a rabbi. And she said, I guess it wasn't meant to be. So then they said, and now we're about to begin treatment. And now you say you just walked into our room and said, you're the rabbi. And I also was like shocked. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. Well, I guess I'm just here to give you a blessing. So now they're totally, we're all like crying. And I said a blessing, you know, from the depths of my heart, they totally, you know, showed a lot of appreciation. And right then the nurse walks in and was like, okay, we're ready to begin. And I was like, oh my gosh, what timing. Yeah. And then I walked out of the room and I checked my phone again. And I have a text from that charge nurse saying, oh, sorry, Rabbi, I sent you the wrong room number. This is the room. I thought to myself, that one, you did not send me the wrong room number. That was like divine intervention. That was like incredible. I just found it really comforting and meaningful that like felt like you know God's with us. Like this is like, that's crazy. Story. Yeah. Have you had have you had other stories like that? Yeah, <laughs> there have been a few stories like that. Are you anything comes to mind? Sure. How about this? You know, now that we're coming close to the holidays, I remember last year. So we were talking about the services actually. So what they had us do is make a video that people could watch anytime from their rooms or at home. So we made a video of our high holiday services in the chapel. You know, it's right in the plaza level mm-hmm. in the middle of the hospital, very central location. And what happened was last year, um, there was a patient whose mother was dying and she was very close with her mother and she was very devastated by her mother's illness. Um, she was really taking it very difficultly. And I had been visiting her a lot and trying mm-hmm. to help her cope and listening to her. And it was really hard. And um, one day her mother kind of really declined and she just had it. This was a very religious uh, observant Jewish woman. Mm -hmm. She was just like, felt like God had abandoned her. She felt like, God, I've been praying to you and begging you. And like, why is my mother declining? And she thought like, I, you must be punishing me. And now I'm mad at you. She was like mad at God, which is legitimate. She was like, you're punishing me. I'm going to punish you. So she says, I know it's not logical, but I thought I need to punish God. Cause he punished me. I'm punishing him back. So she just starts walking randomly around the hospital, like in a daze, she was in the ICU building, which is on the far North end of the campus. Right. She ends up actually in this building. We're in the medical office towers, right. Um, on the far South end of the campus. And there's a restaurant and she says, you know what? This is how I'm going to punish God. She goes into a non-kosher restaurant. She says, I'm going to order my lunch from here and I'm going to eat non-kosher food. And that's what I'm going to show. I'm going to show God that I'm angry that my mother's getting worse. 
So she goes in there. This is in the time of masks right now. They're in right. the pandemic. She says she was like shaking. It was her first time in a non-kosher restaurant in her life. Wow. And she said she pulled up her mask, like really eyes and yeah. no one see her. <laughs> she ordered like the most non-kosher sandwich you could find. Wow. You know, it was like bacon, bacon, cheese, cheese exactly. Right, right. With some shrimp. Exactly. Right, so it's right. like, and she gets in and she's like, okay, where am I going to eat this? Like, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I got to do it. So she starts walking back just randomly into the hospital. She ends up in the plaza. She's like, oh, here, here's some couches and tables. I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to show God my anger. And she sits down and she says, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I got to do it. She unwraps her sandwich. And right then she hears the shofar blowing, the shofar that we blow in Rosh Hashanah. Right. And she thinks, what's the shofar? The shofar is the ram's horn, Mm -hmm. which is what the commandment of Rosh Hashanah, of the high holidays, is to hear the ram's horn being blown. It's It's a symbol of repentance of coming close to God, of God crying out, you know, it's a, it's the, it's a cry of a mother's cry for her children. That's the traditionally in the Bible and, and that God's crying for us. And that, you know, even in the difficult times, God hears us and is with us. And she hears the shofar being blown. She's like, I must be losing my mind. I'm not, no, she says, no, it's not happening. And I'm eating the sandwich. She unwraps it a little further and she hears the shofar again. She's like, no, I, that was real. I heard that. Starts looking around. And, and it's a loud, uh, I don't, have you ever heard a chauffeur, Lauren? It, it's I like a. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yes. Okay. Exactly like that. Exactly. Yeah. So um, in our chapel, as you know, you've been there, there's a window in the back. So she comes in, like peeks in, she's like, what's going on? She sees me and the chazan all dressed up in our Rosh Hashanah, you know, the white kittel and the talis, the, you know, the prayer shawls. Well, because we were making the video. Oh, What was happening is we were filming the video that day. And we had our, you know, the person blowing the shofar. So it was like it was Rosh Hashanah. It was just a regular weekday. Wow. But she looks in there and she's like, what is going on? It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the day of repentance, the day of closeness with God. And this is happening at the exact moment that I was about to eat this sandwich as my way of showing God that you don't listen to me, so I don't listen to you. And um, She's like, you know what? She wraps up the sandwich. She's like, I'm not eating this. She found someone to give it away to. And she texts me like, Rabbi, please come to my mom's room as soon as you can. After we finished recording, I went up there and she's like, I felt like God had abandoned me. And like, God wasn't responding to my cries. And then I go out to do this. And right then I hear the chauffeur being blown. It was like a reminder to me that like, God's with me, even in my cries and my suffering. And it comforted me incredibly. And it was like, what timing? What are the odds? that would happen um, at that moment. And she found it very, it helped her through her grief. That's great. So recently we watched, um, so we, one of the things we like to do is we watch different shows or movies, medical ones. And so we watched our last, one of our last talks uh, podcast was about the TV show, New Amsterdam. You watch any medical shows? Sometimes I didn't see that one. So New Amsterdam, not in the, so I, since the pilot, I watched a few more episodes, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is this heart surgeon who before his surgery prays, but then the person he's operating on, um, the family wants to do some kind of ritual kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, no, I don't believe in that stuff. And finally, you know, he lets the ritual happen. And sure enough, the patient, um, you know, makes it through the surgery. Do, do you experience those kind of things? Like, people and families wanting to do and the ritual entailed like making a cut on the patient 
and like rubbing something into the patient. And they found a way, they found a loophole to do it sterilely and and they were willing and able to do that. That's so interesting. I actually have a story kind of like that that happened here in the ICU. Once we had um, a Muslim patient from the United Arab Emirates and um, he was very, very sick in the ICU and their imam, their sheikh in, you know, in the UAE told them that what they needed, that basically said to them, there's a demon trapped in his body. And the only way to get it out for him to heal is to have an imam come and cut his big toe, a sliver in his big toe. And when the, the blood comes out to recite certain verses from the Quran, and that would be the way to heal him. So the family really wanted to do it. But when they presented that to the ICU staff, they were like, no way, we're, we can't have a, a non-clinician come into the ICU drawing blood. Uh, we, like, we can't, we can't do it. Yeah. So I heard about it and I was like, you know what? You heard about it or they came to you? Like, I heard about happen? it because our chaplain who was on that floor, they, they asked them, they asked her and she was like, okay, I've never heard of this. We haven't asked, he, they, she asked our Muslim chaplain. They were like, I never heard of such a thing. So then she mentioned it to me kind of in passing. But I was like, no, you know what? This is a Jewish hospital. It's a hospital that was created to help people who are trying to you know, observe their religion, but who are otherwise excluded. And our job is to embrace and welcome people and try to help them enable them to facilitate their religious observances. Couldn't there be a way that we could do this? So I met with the staff there and at first they were like, no way. But then we said like, well, what if like he does it totally under your observation? He explains what he's going to do. You do it with him together and make it clean. Like, couldn't there be some way we could maybe do it if they're, you know, reasonable. And they're like, okay, I guess like if we could work it together and it's just a very minor and we like, we all, you know, work together and they use our utensils, like maybe we could do it. So they found someone who they accepted this certain imam in the area who came in, explained how they would do it. And the family was okay with that. The nurses were okay with that. They did it. They actually, did you have to get like special medical legal? Did you have to like consult all not, sorts? Not of- so much because it ended up being just a very minor little cut. They just made a little cut. How long ago was it. that? This was like four years ago. Do you think that would be possible today? It would be like, much harder during the pandemic just because they're getting all the right, people right, right. in, but okay. I don't know. We did it. So they, but you didn't have to bounce it off. Of like, I think we did check okay, with, with yeah. um, risk, risk management. management. Yeah. yeah, we did. But it was so minor that they were able to sign off on it. Okay. The family also signed out. They were like, we'll sign any, any papers. Like um, they did it. The, the imam recited from the Quran. They, they, um, and they, and they were so appreciative that we were able to do it. The crazy part was that this patient who was really sick um, after that actually recovered. Yeah. Just the wildest thing. Yeah. Everyone was like, okay, maybe we should cut the big toe of every patient now. Like this. Yeah. Worked. Do, have you ever thought of writing? Do, have you written any books or, you know, are you a, a writer? Well, or? I've written two books. They're more like Jewish law okay. books. Um, I haven't written like stories. I do write down all the stories that I encountered that happened to me in the hospital. Like I have a whole word document that's yeah. in there. I haven't published it. It's complicated, I guess, also a tip on everything. I have right. to find a way to do it. And one day, God willing, you know, maybe I will publish. I have a whole word file of like crazy stories in the hospital. Yeah. How often do you like, do you as, as are you the senior clergy person here or are there other clergy people on your level? Yeah. So like, how the way work? it works is that we have 12 chaplains. So I'm the director of the department. So I am in charge of all of the chaplains right. as a Jewish hospital. I think they felt appropriate to have the rabbi as the director, but um, obviously we work together respectfully. And so there are 12 different services. Well, there's 12 chaplains, but like there's a few Jewish, a few Catholic, a few Christian, a few, you know, universal Muslim. Unitarian, Muslim, Buddhist. So um, there's not 12 different religions, although we have about 20 interns at any given time that we're training 
And that brings in a much broader. Is there a Jehovah's Witness person? Is there? We have a liaison to Jehovah's Witness. We don't have one on staff, but we have someone who comes in when we ask them to come in. Do you ever like? Is is there ever a mix? Like you go and visit the Muslim family or the Christian family, and and they find. Yeah. How often does that happen? Sometimes we try to provide a chaplain of the same religion to patients when possible, and when they tend to prefer that. Um, but it's not always possible in the middle of the night. Sometimes we can right. turn to being on call in the emergency room, you know. So there is also interfaith chaplaincy that happens, and it's sometimes very um, inspiring because sometimes things come out. First of all, patients oftentimes appreciate the anonymity with a chaplain as much as they might like their own clergy. Um, having someone who they know it's confidential, it's private, they don't see them every week, mm-hmm. um, they can kind of really open up. And someone who also expresses, you know, sometimes a hospital, of course, is a place of science. Um, which it should be. Um, but sometimes people also appreciate that they can talk to someone on a different level, more, you know, metaphysical or, you know, um, philosophical level. And sometimes it brings things out of patients that, you know, it nurtures them. How has it been with COVID? What's. It's much harder. Yeah. Um, first of all, connecting with people behind masks. Yeah. So much of what we do is nonverbal communication, you know, expressing empathy and um, compassion. It's much harder. Um, to show someone solidarity and just that you're listening to them and you feel their pain, you have to really be more um, conscientious about how you're expressing that. It can be easier to miscommunicate. So we have to be really careful. I find it's amazing that people let me cut them open and I've cut people open and I have no idea what they look like (laughs) and they don't know what I look like. You know, I find that's such an amazing, I, and like you said, a a whole part of, at least for my shtick, you know, is, is my communication with patients. Like that's what I kind of pride myself on. So having to figure out more ways of, uh, I'm a lot more handsy and I'm working my eyes and eyebrow. You're doing the same thing. Yes, exactly. Are you, do you try to be in a room with a patient like far enough away and maybe take your mask down or like there or, or wearing shields. Like, is there, um, I'm, I'm actually wondering that for myself too. Like we need at some point to come up with some device that we could wear so people can see our faces. Right. And I have seen a few people in the hospital that have like these clear masks. Yeah. I don't know where they get them. It's pretty cool. I don't know. So far we haven't done that. I mean, we just try to, you know, kind of follow the rules. So like the hat, so far there hasn't been a way to do that yet. Yeah. At least in the hospital itself in the hospital patients rooms, but that would be a good idea. I mean, we need to find ways to, you know, enhance communication. Yeah. And even like, I miss, I miss hugging my patients. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it's such a big, like sometimes I'll say to my patient, I'm hugging you now, you know, <laughs> right. but that's like a big part of, you know, after their, yeah. the, the, the physical thing, it's, it's right. been really challenging. Any other, you know, interesting stories that, that you have as like, have you seen a miracle or do you think you've seen any kind of miracles? There was some documentary that they made here um, a while ago. I, I know because my partner had one of the patients in the documentary, um, but there was some patient in the ICU that all the doctors were oh, telling yeah. was going to die. Yes. Did you see that? Yes, I saw that. And the patient, and they kept saying to the patient, the family, you know, and they were getting frustrated with the family that the patient's going to die, the patient's going to die. And it was, I know the doctors. So it was kind of like embarrassing because at the end of the documentary, all of a sudden the patient's better and makes it out of there. And, yeah. and the doctor was so convinced right. and so upset with the family for not having a grip on stuff. Right. The patient made it full recovery. Yeah. 
yeah, and it happens and I've seen it. And of course, you know, it's always such a complicated balance because even as chaplains, you know, yeah. when people turn to us for prayers and miracles, but we also recognize the reality of like what usually happens. And so we have to balance like hope and expectation and recognizing kind of our hope for miracles and it's okay to have hope, but also recognizing what we expect to happen and being realistic and not being, you know, ir- totally irrational, but that sometimes we do see things that we can't explain. And yeah. so we are oftentimes advocating on behalf of like, you know, I- embracing hope, but in a rational way. Yeah. It's a hard balance to find. Have you seen any, you know, what you would call a miracle to some degree? Well, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, we've seen a lot of suffering and death, right. of course, also. And so a lot of times there's experiences that, you know, people aren't happy about. We see a miracle, you know, a lot of chaplains will probably tell you the biggest miracles they see are the way that patients and their families show resilience under pressure. And they, you know, surprise themselves with how they cope. But we've definitely seen things a lot of times where, you know, people have been told what's going to happen and um, they continue to pray or hope for something different to happen and something different happens. Yeah. I mean, definitely we've seen it. Yeah. You know, there's one oncologist at Cedars who I, who I, who's a friend who I think, who I've often felt sometimes goes too far treating patients. Uh Um, But yet he's also the same doctor that I've seen keep people alive with quality of life after other people have said, you know, no more. Right. And it, it always amazes me. I mean, that's one thing I've, I've just always been fascinated by is that as much as we know, we just don't know. Right. You know, and I don't know if you call it a miracle, but you definitely see some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Have a little humility. Yeah. Do you ever get into like conflicts with patients and families about what we should do with patients and things like that? How, how often does that like ethical decision-making yeah. and stuff? I mean, yeah, definitely. You know, sometimes um, families are somewhat unreasonable and kind of some of their demands and they can sometimes get aggressive even, especially towards staff. And, you know, we want to advocate on behalf of the patients, but also defend the staff and that's our colleagues, you know? Yeah. So sometimes we've had to really try to calm people down and we've had some, some severe encounters sometimes as a result of that. Hmm. Yeah. What were your two books? So what are your two books that you've written? Oh, my book, my most recent book is called Jewish Guide to Practical Medical Decision-Making. And that's basically Jewish medical ethics, right? All the different scenarios we encounter in different classical Jewish approaches, or applying classical Jewish values to these modern dilemmas, right? So, what are some of the modern dilemmas? Like, um, or is organ transplantation, organ yeah, physician aid in dying, um, removing life-sustaining therapies like respirators or ECMO, um, abortion or assisted fertility treatments. Um, and are you trying to give it's more experience or you're really trying to give the rabbinical, the modern day rabbinical? I share thought? both experience in terms of strategies and things that we do in the hospital and then share like kind of an overview of what do the rabbis say is within the bounds of Jewish law. Huh. Yeah. Has it evolved? Well, yeah, definitely. Because the challenge is how do we apply classic ideas to yeah. modern issues? So um, as the as the modern issues change or as the science changes obviously we have to then evolve how we apply it. I have a simple question. It's, it's maybe a loaded question. Would you be an organ donor? Yeah, definitely. You would be. Yeah. So there's no, because I thought as a Jew, you're supposed to be buried um, fully and uh-huh. whole and all that. So a lot of people, a lot of Jews, unfortunately think that Jews can't donate organs. Okay. 
the reality is that there's different types of organ donation. Right. So there's, you know, altruistic living donors like kidneys. Right. There's cadaveric donors. If someone's gone, so they can donate, let's say skin or corneas. And then there's the gray area, which is like um, brain dead donors or donation after cardiac death, DCD, which is where someone is maybe not dead according to all opinions. And they have their death has to be either orchestrated in the operating room right. or they have to be considered dead um, in order to take their organs. And that is the gray area. So, for example, to donate a, a kidney when someone's alive, that's, that's totally a mitzvah, right. not just allowed, right. it's great. Right. And also after death. The issue of being buried alive it is true that we try to bury, um, it's a very important mitzvah commandment to bury the dead, to bury them whole, to bury the, all of their body. But because someone could be saving a life or even enhancing life with their body part and it's needed so saving a life overrides almost everything in the torah pikuach nefesh pikuach nefesh exactly pikuach nefesh. so since it's saving a life it's so like, you're allowed to you're allowed to break almost all the commandments not all but almost, almost all, all um to save a life and and interestingly that's um uh like there's in in judaism there the there are three sections of jews there's the priests the Levites and the, and the Israelites. And I grew up, I'm a priest. People with the last name Cohen are usually part of the priests, Cohen. And theoretically priests aren't supposed to come in contact with the dead. um, Unless it's like an immediate dead family member. So everybody would always say to me, how are you going to be a doctor if you have to do a nat- gross anatomy and cut up cadavers or do CPR on someone. Like, that was a big thing that all my friends used to say to me, how do you do it? And the answer is to save a life, right? Right. There's Although it's approaches a little bit, but, think, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Or the whole, or the whole working on the Sabbath kind of thing, like uh-huh. an Orthodox Jew, how are they working on Saturdays? Yeah. It's an emergency. Same thing. Save life. But there's a loophole to emergency, right? What do you mean? Well, you're working on Saturday, but you're not doing CPR constantly on someone. Right. But, but you're still trying to limit what they do. They do right. what's necessary, what's really saving a life. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So you're allowed to give. So giving an organ is OK. Yeah. Interesting. Like, people don't know that. Right. People yeah. don't know that. Try to get the word out. All right. There you <laughs> go. Um, TV shows. Yeah. What do you watch? What are you into? <laughs> do you watch any? I mean, I always, there's always like some great Jewish shows like Shtisel right. and Fauda. You haven't watched Shtisel. Do you know Shtisel? No, I haven't. I saw it on your list, but I haven't watched it. So you're going to have to tell me about great. it. I don't know what it it's, is. It really is a great show. It has nothing to do with medicine. Right. The one thing it has to do with me is that, you know, I was an art major in college and yes. art, it That's plays a big themes. play yeah. for me. And this, it, it takes place in Israel in the most, one of the most religious communities in Israel and the lead character uh, is supposed to become a rabbi, but he wants to be an artist. So that's that's why it really hit home for me. There's a great show, Tehran. I heard of it. I have an Israel spy show that right. has a really interesting uh, medical. Oh, really? I'll give it away, but there's a really interesting medical hook. In okay, so we'll put Tehran on the list. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll write that down. Thanks. Yeah. And Fauda. That was great. Really exciting show. Yeah. We just started watching. My wife and I just started. We only watched a, an episode and a half of the new Hit and Run. Have you heard of that yeah, one? I haven't started it yet, but yeah, yeah same people. I right. haven't seen that yet. Yeah. What about, I mean, I haven't seen them and I don't know, but they're these reality Jewish shows now, right? Yeah. Have you heard of those? Yeah, of course. So my daughter had told us about one and then unorthodox or something? or Right. Which is about some 
formerly religious woman, Jewish woman who leaves the fold, but it, it supposedly really paints not a true picture. It's kind of like right. she's over the top. She's kind of Kardashian things. And I, and I don't think while there are definitely certain communities that are, did you see any of it? Yeah. I mean, she's a woman I feel who's like trying I to, to get see. famous right. and she knows that there's this, if there's this narrative of leaving the Orthodox community that's gets a lot of viewers, like people right. somehow, for some reason are interested in that. Yeah. So she kind of takes that upon herself as her narrative that she's like escaped some kind of cult or something. Right. Which when you watch it, you see that she wasn't in right. any kind of cult. But supposedly but, she really makes it sound bad. Like I haven't really watched it. Yeah. yeah. But then you heard there's like the opposite show called Orthodox, right? Have you heard of that one? No, I, I think I think the show you're talking about is My Unorthodox Life. That's oh, right, the reality right. show. And then exactly. the scripted show that got, like, yeah, that show doesn't seem to be getting good reviews. But the show that got good reviews is Unorthodox. That's a scripted show also on Netflix. I think. That was like a movie. Yeah, I saw that too. That, that, that's good. No, but then there's another reality show about a guy who wasn't religious growing up and and was like this big party planner kind of guy. And he said, like, you know, he was then promoting some big party that Drake, the musician, was there. And then he realized that his life needed change and he became an Orthodox Jew. So look that up. Yeah, I think it's called Orthodox, you know, or Uh, something like that. And I so that show uh, is on my list of shows to watch. uh, Yeah. And then do you watch any medical shows? Or have it's you been ever a long time? I mean, I've watched obviously like um, um, what was it, House and Great Grace Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. I remember I watched those. Did we ever talk about House as one of our shows? We talked about it like at the very beginning, um, like one of our first podcasts. Um, right. But I, I like House. It gets a little crazy towards the end, but exactly. There was a reality show, New York Medicine, or something that I remember. I watched a few episodes of. Right. How come Cedars doesn't have a, re- there, a gr- it would be a great reality show to, you know, to center around you guys. Here. I mean, it's interesting. You know, so I've been here for 15 years now. We're in Hollywood. Yeah. Probably four or five times since I've been here, different Hollywood figures, including some very prominent ones. I don't know if I should say who um, have approached me with the idea. And obviously, so it's not up to me. There's people at the hospital that are in charge of this kind of stuff. And I've kind of spoken to them and then passed them along and, each time it hasn't worked out. So I don't know if it's not meant to be or it, did it actually get past just a, Hey, this person came, did, did it ever actually turn into like a meeting and a pitch? W- one, one time they actually got funding and filmed a pilot episode. No way. Yeah. What was and it going to be called? You know, I don't remember. I don't know if you, know they you had were a in name. It? All the chaplains were, we were, so you were the feature, one of the features. It wasn't about me. But it was about like chaplains and hospital and patients and right? you know religion and spirituality. Um, and uh, the, and a pilot was made. They made a pilot. So you're in a pilot. <laughs> yeah, you're in IMDb. I don't know. Where, no, I'm not. Uh-huh. And and it wasn't. Obviously, it was a documentary. You know, I was not. Right, right, right. But um, it didn't go. It ended up not going anywhere. Did you watch the pilot? Yeah, the pilot also was short. You know, I don't know the whole. Oh, it was like a sizzle it. reel. Something like, like it was a like five a minute. Thing? Yes, exactly. Reel. They had the pilot ready. They did the sizzle reel, but they made a pilot. They made it, but that never actually like aired. Right. And it was sent around to certain studios or something. And then it wasn't picked up. And then it wow. was. Wow. Did so, you actually see the pilot? Yeah. How can I, I see it? Is there any I way know. I could I, see it? I wonder if I could find it now. I could look into it. I remember I, the name. We would love people. to watch it. Okay. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that didn't get picked up. That sounds really interesting. Like what um, you're, yeah. how you're in charge of all these different people that 
you know, all these different religions. I think that's right. I don't know. I mean, I do think like chaplains, like for example, in a lot of these, not just reality, in a lot of these medical shows, the only time you see chaplains ever, because I'm always looking for them, is like quick end of life, last rites, quickly call the priest last rites, but they've never shown like, you know, the, the nuance and like how complex and meaningful the work of chaplains is in hospitals. It's both, you know, front lines, intense, but also drama. And, um, I mean, there was someone else who did a, wrote a script actually and submitted a script and they asked me to be like the, um, technical advisor. Yeah. So I was like, so, cause it was about chaplains and it was like this whole thing that chaplain falls in love with the patient or something like that. It was like this whole wild story. And I did read the script and make some comments and then they submitted it and it hasn't gotten picked up, but how long ago was that? That was more recent actually. That's like three years, two, three years ago. Uh huh. Did you like it? It was interesting. It was, uh-huh. You know, would it be something you would watch? Well, personally, of course, I would definitely watch it right, because right, I'd right. like to see how they portray chaplains. But yeah. I think it's an interesting angle. It's it different. Is a you know, angle. It's That's like, true. Uh, I can't think of any. No, I was thinking that when Dr. Cohen said, do you write your stories down? Because I was like, I feel like some Hollywood person would want this. And then you said that you've been approached many times. Right. I mean, usually I haven't been approached for, for like my own stories. It's more been like either let's hear about what it's like so we can write a script or let's talk about documentaries. But um I don't know. I guess if it's meant to be at some point, yeah, someone will pick it up and run with it. Have you ever had an idea for a show like that or something? Um, I've thought about it. I've brainstormed people and I've like randomly met some people from studios that yeah. like just in social situations and start talking at like social gatherings and right. like started sharing, like pitching ideas, whatever. And I don't know what happens to them. Or It's not really my world. And I also, you know, I am a slightly anxious like that. I want, I'm, I, I hope that the work I do is sincere right? and I'm not trying to like sell, become, sell right. anything or become like a star. And I, I want just there to be there for people and help people. So I'm not trying to become like famous. Right. Um, I think that would probably turn people off. And, but then again, like if it could like help people and inspire people and if someone wants to do it, I mean, it would be kind of interesting. Like it could be kind of cool too. So. There, there's our next project, Lauren. I know. I was thinking about it from that angle, the comforting angle, especially like these days during the pandemic, just like, you know, seeing people being comforted and different stories that you have. I think, I think it would be good. I, I think that'd be great. That was awesome. Yeah. Good. I have a quick question. So yeah. you're, you're on call, like, like a doctor is on call. How does that well, work? Well, so I'm always on call for Jewish patients. Always? Always, except I have people that fill in for me at times when I need it. Like there are times when I'm either away for the weekend or whatever right. for a week. Um, but we also, so it's not a rotation. We feel like it's a Jewish hospital. Right. Someone should be able to get a rabbi if they need a rabbi. We always want to have a rabbi available. Then there's always someone on call. So, and that could be any religion. Sometimes it's me for the right. whole hospital. Maybe we just have a rotation for that. Right. We try to always have a priest available too, just because there's oftentimes yeah. ritual needs. So, um, so it's basically just, you know, by cell phone, they, you know, they, we have our number and they reach out when there's a need. Um, just another thought is, you know, back, back when I was a kid, there wasn't such thing as a female rabbi and female chaplains. That's probably changed a lot here at the hospital, right? Yeah, of course. Definitely. I mean, we are, you know, we want to reflect our patient population. And so right. we're there for everyone equally, no matter what religion, lifestyle, right. lack of religion. We have chaplains who are humanists. We, not all chaplains are theistic, you know, right. um, and, and that's okay. 
um, it is interesting because, you know, our chaplains, we tend to be, you know, I would say very open-minded and tolerant and accepting and embracing. And um, sometimes though patients, interestingly, are not. So sometimes, you know, someone will ask for a rabbi, let's say, um, let's say a female rabbi goes, we don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes the patient will call us and be like offended. Right. I want a rabbi. Why did, yeah. <laughs> right. And so we're like, okay, like we're not going to start arguing with them. Like, right. oh, how could you say that? She's a rabbi. And so we just say, okay, no, no problem. We'll send you a male rabbi if that's what you want. So right. we do get that sometimes from patients, but for the most part, um, the patients appreciate anyone who's there for them at their time of need. Do they ever prefer like even a denomination? I want an Orthodox rabbi. I want a conservative yeah. rabbi. Sometimes we get very specific requests. And when we can, fulfill that we do but we can't always fulfill it and we try to then send a chaplain who can gently and you know in an inclusive way share that like they're there for them they're there even though they're not the same religion or same denomination and oftentimes we actually find that they end up being surprised by how meaningful that encounter is even though they're not the same denomination yeah what else lauren no it's very cool it's very informative i uh i knew nothing about this yeah, I think at the very least, we're going to write some shows. Okay. <laughs> we're going to send you a new script. So uh, look forward yeah. to that. Rabbi Weiner, thank you so much. My pleasure. This thank was you. awesome. I, I love that you said yes. Yeah. I'd love to have a follow-up. Definitely. That's yeah, cool. thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do. I'm sure you're exhausted, just like Dr. Cohen is being on call all the time. So it's meaningful. Luck. So I appreciate yeah. it. You know, it's, it's, an, it's energizing in some ways. I want to... Uh, uh, I apologize for not reading your book. I got to read your book. Anytime I'm happy to give you a copy. Okay, cool. I'll take you up on that. Okay. Okay, sweet. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.